Thank you for joining us on the first episode in our new series examining the opportunities and challenges faced by high-ability learners. We believe that with greater understanding comes improved communication and outcomes for students in need. Listen to the end of the episode to hear about how you can share your comments, questions, and suggestions to be included in future episodes. I think my little eight-year-old brain was looking for stuff to do because it had nothing to do. The student you heard at the top of the show is my friend Liam. Liam is a 12-year-old wrapping up 7th grade in a south suburb of Chicago. He lives with his parents, three siblings, a puppy, and their lizard, Scorch. He often feels unchallenged by school, and when asked, he'll say his favorite part of school is lunch because he gets to hang out with his friends. Michelle, Liam's mother, recollects in 3rd grade, his family and teachers started to notice a change. In 3rd grade, he was having problems because he was pretty disruptive in class. (laughs) Oh yeah, I was. They needed to find a home for you and not be disruptive to the other kids because the other kids did need to learn. Like many high-ability students, Liam's need for intellectual challenge just wasn't being met in the regular classroom setting. This episode is about how Liam's parents advocated to get him, his siblings, and students with similar learning needs the opportunity to be placed in a learning environment providing the pace and rigor that match their academic needs. Welcome. I'm Eric Parsons. And I'm Andrew Bauer. And this is Accelerated Thinking, a podcast that blends educational research, policy, and advocacy. Um, So Liam, um, when he was in third grade, came back with test scores in math that the district hadn't seen before, especially in his age. Um, so the district came to us and said, we need to do something with your child. We think that he should go from third grade math to algebra, and he should be at the junior high school to take this course, um, starting in fourth grade. So Liam, a third grader, received scores that were off the charts for his grade, and the school district recognizes it has to do something to meet his needs. They offered to place him in a pre-algebra course which is usually designed for 7th or 8th grade students. What the district was recommending was an instructional approach called acceleration. Acceleration can be done in many ways. To understand what acceleration is and how it can be implemented, we spoke with Dr. Eric Calvert. He's an associate director at the Center for Talent Development at Northwestern University and an expert on talent development and gifted education. So I think the kinds of things that we're talking about when we talk about formal acceleration are where we're going beyond differentiation that we would do at grade level for those students whose needs are more advanced, where they would actually be better off in a setting where the default curriculum starts at a higher level. So we would do that, for example, through early entrance to kindergarten, through subject acceleration, where, for example, a student who's a fourth grader who's advanced in math goes up to fifth grade just for math, um, or whole grade acceleration, where, for example, um, an advanced fifth grader, rather than going into sixth grade next year, goes straight into seventh grade. So in short, Acceleration is exactly what it sounds like. As an instructional strategy, it accelerates a student through an educational program at a faster rate or at an age that is younger than typical, and it helps match the level of complexity and rigor of a curriculum to the readiness, ability level, and motivation of the student. This allows schools to place a student like Liam in a course that matches their strengths and academic needs. 
And while you might not be accustomed to the name acceleration, you've probably heard of the practical strategies used to accelerate students, which includes, but is not limited to, early entrance to kindergarten and first grade, subject skipping, grade skipping, or curriculum compacting. In Liam's case, the district decided to have Liam subject skip, effectively moving him from a third grade math class to a seventh or eighth grade class based on his test scores. But this is where the story gets a bit more interesting. As we mentioned when we introduced Liam, he had siblings in his school. As it was, our fifth grader at the time, Kate, had test scores that were just two points above his, and they had not come back to us similarly and wanting to place her in a, a algebra class um, going into sixth grade. So when they came to us and said, place this fourth grader in an algebra class, and Kate had her test scores that were higher than his, she said, what gives if he's going to be in this algebra class, I should be in the algebra class too. So Liam, a third grader, gets an outstanding score on an adaptive math test and is accelerated to a seventh and eighth grade class, while his sister, Kate, a fifth grader, takes the same adaptive math test, scores two points higher, and is not recommended to move on to that same 7th and 8th grade course level. Who wouldn't have the same reaction as Kate? Seriously, what gives? If there was a path for Liam to be accelerated based on his scores, and if Kate scored two points higher on the same test and was not put on an accelerated path as well, what was the school's process for making decisions about acceleration? So that was surprising and frustrating uh, for myself. And then there were also uh, two other families uh, with children similar to Kate. They scored very close to Liam's test score, and they weren't being given the option. Um, It was confusing. Um, We attended a lot of board meetings, um, also made a lot of meetings with the director of curriculum and the superintendent to try to figure out why Liam was given that opportunity right off the bat. But the others... um, It was six months later before they were given the same opportunity. At the time, the district did not have a set written policy in place. And as a result, decisions were made in ways that seemed unclear and inconsistent to parents. Unfortunately, this is not an uncommon situation. Many schools and districts don't have a clearly defined policy on acceleration. As Eric just said, Liam and Kate's district is not alone. In 2014, the National Research Center on the Gifted and Talented surveyed 1,566 school districts from across the United States. Of the 765 elementary districts surveyed, only 7 allowed students to accelerate by content or subject skip, and only 1 allowed for an acceleration by grade. And these numbers did not improve dramatically for middle schools, with only 11 of 486 allowing for subject acceleration, and again, only one allowing for acceleration by grade or grade skipping. And this got us thinking. There must be some reason for districts to be hesitant about acceleration. So we decided to start with what we thought schools might see as the most important factor. How do accelerated students fare academically? We went back to Dr. Eric Calvert to see what the research says. So... Acceleration, I know, is new for many districts, but in reality, it's an intervention that's been around uh, for a long time. Um, And so it's probably one of the best researched interventions there is for gifted students. Um, But Matthew Makel, Syung Stingbury and Hugh, 
uh, here at the Center for Talent Development and our director, Paolo Oshevsky-Kabilius, um, did a meta-analysis, um, not just looking at an individual group of students who had been accelerated, but really looking back at all of the well-designed studies that have been conducted in the last 100 years to find out um, what does the consensus of the research really say um, about how accelerated students are doing um, academically as well as socially and emotionally. So what does this 100-year meta-analysis tell us about the impact acceleration has on a student's academic success? The good news from the research from the 100-years meta-analysis study um, is that um, when students are high-achieving at the point of acceleration, overwhelmingly they continue to be very high-achieving after acceleration and in fact they often catch up and sometimes even surpass not only typical students at the new grade level um, but they actually catch up to other gifted students at that grade level and retrospectively looking back um, a, only a very small percentage of those students subsequently express regret about having been accelerated um, and most of them are glad that they took the jump um, and they do very well uh, academically and continue to grow and be high achievers over time. As Dr. Calvert explained, students who are high achieving at the point of acceleration overwhelmingly continue to be high achieving and sometimes catch up or even surpass the high achieving students in their new level. Hence, academically, it would make sense to ensure acceleration options are always available. So, we can rule out concerns about academic trouble from acceleration. The next potential reason, and it is one we heard a lot throughout this process, is that decision makers have concerns about the social and emotional state of the student being accelerated. And, and this makes sense. Parents might have concerns about their student's ability to socialize with older peers. But does the research support this as a reason not to accelerate? Most studies find there's no significant lasting impact on students' social emotional well-being and that appropriately selected students quickly learn to navigate in the new setting. Some studies have noted temporary drops in student self-concept when students are initially placed in a more advanced environment, especially if a lot of their self-esteem is based on always being the smartest person in the room. But most students quickly adjust and are actually relieved of the pressure of always being first and best um, and begin to draw some satisfaction from seeing their own progress and overcoming real challenges after that short period of adjustment. Um, however, some students who struggle with excessive anxiety generally uh, or have uh, delayed social skills may need more support to transition successfully into an accelerated setting um, or might need other options for access, uh, accessing that more challenging curriculum while those social and emotional needs are still being addressed. But um, some studies actually find that some students, probably the most exceptionally advanced students, actually do better, surprisingly, socially with older students than they did in their original grade level with their age peers because they can find classmates who think more like they think and talk about topics of mutual interest at a more advanced level. So even though they're different size, they relate more uh, cognitively to those other students. So the overall consensus 
is that the social and emotional impact of acceleration on most K-12 students is either benign, in other words, there's really no effect, um, or even mildly positive in the case of the most extremely advanced students. Um, but overall, bright students who are reasonably emotionally healthy to begin with usually stay that way when they're accelerated into a more advanced level. So the research suggests students are more likely to make actual gains academically and potentially even socially. Maybe we need to look at this through the lens of cost. I mean, who's going to pay for it? Is there a substantial cost associated with acceleration that would outweigh the potential gains? To help us answer this, we asked Carolyn Welch. Carolyn is an attorney whose practice involves educational advocacy work. She is a senior advisor for the Untapped Potential Project and co-chair for the Policy and Advocacy Committee at the Illinois Association for Gifted Children. There's some perception that it takes funding to provide these opportunities, and a lot of times acceleration can be relatively cost neutral. With acceleration, you're not requiring the creation of a separate gifted classroom. What you're saying is, what are the needs of of this child? What instructional level should they be at? And then placing them at that appropriate instructional level in a class that already exists. Those magic words... Cost neutral. Mmm, music to administrators' ears. But, okay, what about that other big giant elephant in the room, tracking? Tracking has long been associated with gifted programs, and it has a really, really negative image. Well, actually, Dr. Calvert has an answer for us on that as well. I think of acceleration as actually being the polar opposite of tracking because it's really about flexibility. It's about deciding um, what curriculum and what level of material um, a student should have access to based on what we know about that student and not based on an assumption that we have about that student based on their age or their demography. Uh, So I think it's very positive in that respect. Um, I think when people say that we shouldn't do acceleration because that's tracking or we shouldn't do gifted education because that's tracking, I think it's a misguided idea because if we don't do any kind of readiness grouping and we don't do any kind of acceleration, we are tracking. We are rigidly grouping students. We're just doing birthday tracking rather than placing students um, in curriculum as they need it or as they're ready for it. So tracking is an acceleration, and acceleration isn't tracking. And the last potential reason we thought decision makers might not want to pursue acceleration was simply they might feel that the district will run out of courses in a specific area or subject. In other words, they might run out of math courses. We went back to Michelle to ask her if she had concerns that since Liam was skipping five years of math, that he would somehow run out of classes before he even got to high school. It's not a concern at all these days. I mean, maybe if this was 20 years ago, running out of math classes would be a concern. But now with so many online resources, it is not a concern at all. And she is right. Access to online learning has dramatically increased over the last two decades. There are a plethora of options to help provide students appropriate offerings as they advance beyond the typical high school courses. So... If a hundred years of research shows that acceleration improves academic outcomes, doesn't harm kids socially, 
and isn't even cost prohibitive. Why is it underutilized at such an alarming rate? And even in the case of Liam and Kate, when districts allow for acceleration, there does not seem to be a clearer or transparent policy. We really need to fix the system. It shouldn't be based on what you know or who you know. It should be based on the student's academic ability. How do we fix the system? Next episode, we're going to take a deeper look at how different states stack up in serving the needs of their high-ability students, and how one state is moving forward with a policy to improve. Thank you for listening. This episode was brought to you by the Center for Talent Development at Northwestern University. For more information about all the programs CTD has to offer, visit their website at ctd.northwestern.edu. Special thanks to Michael Beach for the music to this podcast. Please subscribe to CTD Backpack on iTunes or SoundCloud for future episodes as we dive into the important topics that surround gifted education with the hope that with greater understanding of the issues, we can empower students, families, and educators. We would love to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and questions related to this podcast. You can email those to me directly at andrew.bauer, B-A-U-E-R, at northwestern.edu.